The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Well, good morning. Romans 13 tells us to give honor where honor is due. And uh, there is a friend and a pastor on our team, Ross Wellman, who I want to uh, honor in this moment. Uh, Ross came to White River 16 years ago with his family to uh, be a part of White River, uh, began serving as a volunteer. And over 10 years ago, he became a pastor on our staff as the White River Sports Pastor and has led that ministry well. And um, he is moving on to uh, other things as God has called him to his next venture. And I see him over there. Uh, Ross, we love you. We are grateful for your impact and influence here at White River. So thank you. So pray with me for Ross and Joanne and uh, for God to open our hearts as we turn to him and hear from his word. God, we thank you for uh, friends. Uh, We thank you for the influence of other people that you strategically put in our path. And I thank you for Ross, uh, for Joanne. I pray that you would just bless them in this next season of life and ministry. It's just another chapter in the story you're writing uh, for him and for so many of us as well. We're grateful for their influence on thousands of kids and parents um, over the years. Uh, We pray for us, God, that you would soften our hearts to hear from you in these next few moments. Uh, May we hold them uh, loosely and uh, trust you as we uh, jump in today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I can be sure that uh, everyone's favorite thing in school uh, has to be the good old-fashioned pop quiz, right? Get out that blank sheet of paper, and uh, here you go. Whether or not you liked it or not or were prepared or not, here comes a quiz for you. It doesn't matter what subject, that kind of sends chills down your spine probably, because who doesn't love getting tested when you are not ready? Um, And it doesn't stop there. Even think about work. You know, who doesn't love when the boss just checks in unannounced on uh, your project or your teaching or whatever it is that you're doing? I mean, isn't that everyone's favorite thing? Um, Of course not. Well, I remember eighth grade English class um, at good old Noblesville Middle School for me. And um, I was always more of a math science guy as it was. And uh, we were talking about poetry. And um, the day before, we were talking about how poetry is something that's really hard to be tested on. And so my guard went down. And that's when the teacher went in for the kill and gave us a pop quiz the next day that I was totally unprepared for. And um, I definitely got the lowest score I've ever gotten on anything because you can't get any lower than a zero on that good old quiz there. But thankfully... Not worth very much in my final grade. Anyway, during a pop quiz, I know that sends certain feelings into each one of us, but have you ever considered while you're taking a quiz like that, why the teacher would do it? What's their motivation? What would compel them to give you a test like that? Well, any good teacher, and we have lots of great teachers out there today, would tell you they're not really concerned about the grades of their students. They're much more concerned that their students learn something. 
that's the whole point of education, and that's what a good teacher wants. And so um, that is what they're concerned about. Well, we have been in a series called Miracles. We have been looking at the amazing things that Jesus has been doing throughout his life through the perspective of his, one of his best friends, John. So we are in John chapter 6. You can turn to John 6 in the scriptures today. And we're going to look at the only miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus that is found in all four gospels. And so uh, we'll be in John 6 verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, and a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him, and it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So let me set the scene a little bit again. So we know that Jesus has been doing miracles. We've already seen some of those. And we know that John tells us he did so many more that aren't even recorded. And there are lots of people that are following him. Like it tells us in verse 2, there's actually a huge crowd following Jesus. And he tells us because they saw his miracles. So we can be sure that this crowd was only there for the show. They were only there because of what they saw. They were more interested in the things that they saw than any kind of transformation or even really listening to what Jesus was saying. They wanted to see something really cool. But Jesus had picked 12 people and said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. That was his commitment to them. He was actually a teacher. Jesus' first job was a teacher, not as a miracle worker to the masses. He was way more concerned about teaching them and you and I and everybody than doing something fancy. And there's this note about the Passover that we know that's what time it was in the year. And the Passover, if you know anything about the Jewish calendar, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, celebration festival that uh, would have been on their calendar all year long. And so Jesus was surely anticipating the Passover. There would have been all kinds of crowds. He wants a little space from these folks, and he wants to teach his disciples a few things. So he tries to get away, and he can't. All these people keep following him wherever he goes. And just kind of a fun fact there, when you think about Passover, we know that this event is happening right at about the same time we find ourselves in this part of the year, maybe March, um, as Easter coincides with Passover. So we know that to be true. Um, so he was trying to escape these crowds. And what happens? Verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And this is really interesting as John tells us here in verse 6. These aren't the words of Jesus. This is John telling us what was going on in Jesus' mind. He was testing Philip, John tells us. 
Here is the pop quiz. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He knew that all these crowds were going to come and he knew that he had an opportunity to give a test to his disciples and he was ready. Was Philip ready? I don't think so. I don't think Philip was ready for this test. And I don't really think it was very fair, to be honest. Think about Philip and his disciples, the things that they know and that they've seen. How could he have possibly anticipated what was going to happen? But it is in these moments when we know the teacher is giving the test for a reason. He wants them to learn something. And there's something that I think we may know intellectually as we approach this story, one of the most famous stories in all of scripture as Jesus is about to feed all of these people. Uh, We may know that Jesus came to provide for us. I think Philip even knew that Jesus came to provide for us. I think the people knew that Jesus came to provide for them, but how does this test actually go for them? So Philip, he replies to Jesus because Jesus asked him a question. Where can you buy bread for these people? And Philip says, well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. To which I say, you didn't answer Jesus' question there, Philip. He asked you a simple question. Where could you buy, buy bread? And And Philip gives him an excuse already for why he can't help solve this problem. And then verse 8 tells us, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, speaks up, of course, because Andrew is always very helpful um, around the 12. So Andrew jumps in here and he says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And of course, Andrew's very reasonable character. He says, but... What good is that with this huge crowd? You see, so you got to love Andrew. He jumps in to help his buddy and says, you know, I've got something, but I don't think it can really help all the way. So I know you guys are way smarter. You know that Jesus is your provider. I'm sure you would have just said, Jesus, you help us. You provide. You know, you already know that's how it would go. Um, So... I want to try to replicate this as we think about feeding a large group of people because you're about as prepared as this group was prepared. So I'm wondering what you have with you. If we need to feed and have lunch with the group here right now, what do we got with us? I really want to see it. I know we're going to have to lean on the moms, what's in your purses right now. I want to see what's in your purse, what's in your pocket. Guys, you got any gum or mints that we could share here? I want to see some stuff. We had some bananas and M&Ms in the first service. Um, I don't see anything. Second service is going to go hungry. All right, we got chapstick. That does not count. Um, <laughs> Mints, water, coffee. Second service is going to be hungry, okay, for lunch. So um, I don't know what to tell you guys. First service was much more prepared than you. Um, I know our friends up at the Remnant are very prepared. They're probably all sipping on their frappes, which is code for milkshake and uh, having their pastries. So Maybe you want to go up there next week. But I came prepared with my lunch since Andrew's always helpful um, on this. So because he went and he found 
some goodies. And, um, you know, I actually brought a Lunchable for, uh, for us to share because as it has been said uh, a few times, Andrew found the Jewish equivalent of the Lunchable, this little boy who had his little lunch packed probably by his mother, and it was about this big. And um, that's what he said. He said, here, Jesus. So this is what we're doing. Can we expect this to feed a stadium full of people? Um, Good luck with that. But that is what they bring to Jesus. And I would say they failed the test. They did not pass. They didn't answer Jesus' question. They didn't solve the problem. They didn't know what to do. They failed miserably. But Jesus knew they would fail. Jesus knew they would fail. And so he steps in. Verse 10, tell everyone to sit down. Jesus said, they all sat down on the grassy slopes and the men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves And he gave thanks to God and he distributed them among the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up all the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. It's truly incredible. Absolutely a miracle on all accounts that Jesus took something like this and fed that many people to the point where they were completely full and satisfied. As Jesus looked to heaven and said, thank you, God, for providing, he said that in advance of God doing something miraculous. And then there was a miracle. But there's kind of the scientific part of me, the part of me that's been very curious really about every single miracle in the book of John. I don't really feel like John explains the miracle very well. (laughs) I'm left with lots of questions. Like there's five loaves. Did Jesus just take the first loaf and keep tearing it off? What kind of bread was that? The comedian Jim Gaffigan says, I hope it was uh, pretzel bread because that's the best kind of bread. I agree, that's great bread. We don't know, it was probably barley since it was, but Jesus made bread. We don't know all the details we may want to have in reading this, how, what, how did Jesus do all these things? But that is not the point. The point is not about the spectacle. The point is not even about the miracle The point is that Jesus wants to teach them and teach us something very specific that Jesus always provides. And he's certainly capable. And here he does. He provides significantly. He provided so much that they were completely full. And because, you know, it's exactly what Jesus would do, he wanted them to remember this. And so he said, You know, they could have left the food on the side of the hill for the birds or whoever, but he said, I want you to gather it up. And I can just picture all 12 going out with their basket and they fill it up and they all come back with a full basket, one for each of them, just to show 
how much God will lavishly provide when we need him. So they have their answer, right? Whenever the next test arrives, Jesus is the answer. And that's true. That's very true. But you all remember when you agreed with me that the teacher who gives the test is not trying to punish you. They're not trying to trick you. They're not trying to lower your grade or make you fail. They actually want to teach you something. And if that's all the further this goes, I don't know if we learned anything. Because it's not about even having the answer. Any teacher could give the answer key and their students could get the right answers. That's not the point. We want to understand the answer. So what does it really mean that Jesus provides for us? What does that even mean that Jesus will provide for us? There's all kinds of different answers to that question. And we can try and we will dig into what that means for us today, but I kind of want to see how they understood that. How do they flesh that out and live it out as they see Jesus can provide for us? Now, what does that mean? Verse 14, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Surely he's the prophet. So the Jewish people were waiting with expectation that someone would come, a Messiah would come to deliver them. See, they were waiting because they knew a prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, where Moses says, and God tells the people that there will be a prophet like Moses who will come in the future. And they were waiting for this prophet to come to be like Moses in the order of Moses who would provide for them. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt from bondage and captivity. And Israel was in captivity from Rome and they wanted their freedom. Moses led the people into the desert and asked God for help and he provided manna or bread for the people. And so when the people see these things and these connections and are like, he's providing bread, we need freedom. He is the prophet that we need. Yes, this is it. We need this guy to help us right now. But what if Jesus isn't really on our program? <laughs> What if Jesus doesn't want to provide what we ask him to do? Is he allowed to do that or does he just have to provide? Verse 15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slips away into the hills by himself. <laughs> he slips away when Jesus has the first hint that they do not really understand who he is or why he really came, 
he slips away. He, he pulls his best running back move. And I don't know if there was some stiff arms or some spin moves there for Jesus to get through thousands of people without being noticed, but somehow he did it. And he did not want anything to do with those expectations. He didn't want anything to do with providing what they were saying we need provided in this specific way. And I would say if we believe that Jesus came here to provide for us in similar ways, Jesus would tell us and do the same thing. He's going to zig when we zag. He's going to run away from that. He did not only come to fix our problems. He didn't only come to fill our bellies. He didn't only come to fill our bank accounts or to fill our photo albums with great memories and to bless our life now. That is not why Jesus came. Even though he demonstrated he can provide any of those things, Jesus came for a different, higher purpose. He came to provide for us in every meaningful way and our deepest needs, not just those things that are felt right here in this life right now. Jesus ran away from that. And that is a line of thinking That is just not helpful in our culture. It's called the prosperity gospel. And Jesus did not come to give us things. He just didn't. He didn't. Thankfully, Jesus clarifies a little bit more what is really going on in his mind. He didn't just give the test and leave. He explains himself a little later. So it's 10 verses later in John 6. Verse 26, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So Jesus knows exactly what's going on with most people. Most of the crowd is only there for the show, the lights, the camera, the action, for the free food, to taste that sweet pretzel, barley bread, or whatever it was, Jesus knows this, and he still had compassion and still fed them and met their physical needs, but he knows you're only here because I'm feeding you today. You don't understand who he really is, what he's really doing. Verse 27, don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For, the, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And Jesus tells us quite clearly, yes, of course he can provide for all of our material needs and more in this life. But that's not what he wants his followers to be primarily concerned about. He wants them to be concerned about things that do not perish, to be concerned about things that last forever, Things like your relationship with God. Things like love and and goodness that will last for eternity. He wants us to invest in the kingdom of God, to invest in heaven, not on these perishable things alone. And Jesus clarifies this even more in verse 35 when he says this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Jesus knows if he just keeps giving people carbs, bread, it does not last. We know this. It doesn't last. Jesus says he came to actually be the bread. Jesus came to change our minds and our perspective, not that we need all these things in our life, which we still do. We need food, water, shelter. We need all of those things. But Jesus is saying, you need me more. I am the bread of life. Yes, I can do all these fun, cool things because he's the creator of the world. Of course he can do it. He made it all already. That's not the point. The point is that he is the one we are to desire more than the thing, than the stuff that he can give. And that is what I was talking about, the prosperity gospel. And you have to be careful for how we think because It's so easy to want the things that Jesus can provide more than him himself. And we have to want Jesus more than the stuff. Because of course we're going to go to God when we need prayer for something or some need or there's something that we um, know that God can provide for us and there are even good things. But do we want the healer more than the healing, the provider more than the provision. Because he didn't just come to give you stuff. And there's many, many people in our culture that claim to be you know, devoted followers of Jesus, but they're actually more concerned about what Jesus can give them or give you than Jesus himself. And that's a false gospel. Jesus tells us right here, He is the bread of life. He is the ultimate. He is who we pursue, not stuff. That he doesn't just care about your happiness. He cares about changing our hearts. And this is a test we all face every day. (laughs) Do I want the stuff that God can provide for me or do I want God himself? And so if we know Jesus, if we say, Jesus, I follow you, I'm a Christian, I believe in you, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, I want what you want for my life, has your appetite changed? Or do we still just want stuff like everybody else? You see, our appetites have to change. What we spend our time thinking about, what we want in this life, should look different then before we met Jesus, our appetite should be changing because Jesus came to provide, but he came to provide something very specific for you and I. He came to provide new desires in us. He came to change us so that the ultimate things that we want in this world aren't just a wonderful retirement account or that nice next meal or to enjoy this next moment. Those things are all great, but we are to more fully want and long for and pursue something that is higher and greater and bigger than all of that. And the only thing that is bigger than all of that is God himself. He is the bread of life and our desire should be for him because he'll change our hearts in our lives when we do that. You see, Jesus started his ministry 
in the wilderness. John doesn't tell the story, but Matthew does in Matthew chapter 4. And it's connected to this miracle of the bread. He was fasting for 40 days. And Jesus is out. He is very hungry. And Satan comes knocking and tempts Jesus like he does all of us. In his first temptation, Satan says this to Jesus. He says, hey, see these stones? You turn these to bread. But Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the very words of God. You see, on a quick reading of that, you might think, well, is that just about the miracle that Jesus could prove to Satan that he's capable of turning the stones to bread? I don't think that's what that's about. We know Jesus can make bread. He just did it. What Satan was really asking Jesus is this. I see you have desires, Jesus. You need to satisfy those. You need to satisfy those desires right now, and you can, so you should go ahead and do it. Whatever you feel like you should do, you should do that. That was really the first temptation. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm not defined by my desires. I actually want to desire what God desires for me in his word. And he showed us the way that that's a test we all face. And it's so much bigger than bread. And it's so much different than what our culture says. Our culture says in many ways that we're defined by our desires. That in many ways, the cardinal sin, the unpardonable sin in our culture is to ask somebody to maybe consider not indulging their desires. That's like blasphemy in our culture that you're judging someone by saying maybe they should consider not indulging this thing or that thing that they feel like they should do or I should feel like I want to do that I should maybe consider not doing what is the desire of my heart because maybe it's not what's best for me. But Jesus came to change those desires because the purpose of our life is not to satisfy our desires. The purpose of our life is not to have a full, wonderful meal at the end of the day. It's so much bigger than that. And praise the Lord that it is. And that God came not just to give us food for a day, but he actually came to be the provision himself. Jesus came to be the bread that you and I need every day so that when we wake up and we pray and we pray for daily bread, yes, we can pray for that meal, but we can pray that God would sustain us through anything that we face, that Jesus would be the answer, that Jesus would be enough, that my desires for things in this world would pass and he could replace those with a desire for God, with a desire for his word, for communion with him. And that would change my life. Because Jesus did come to show that he can provide. And Jesus does provide, no matter what we're going through, but he provides himself. I love how Paul says it. It's easy to remember in Philippians 3, 7, he says, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
everything I used to care about, it's not really that important anymore because what Jesus did changed how I see everything. And it's so interesting to me that when we read the Gospels, when we read John, although this is the only one where John tells us this was a test, it's all a test. Jesus was giving them tests every single turn, every corner, and you know what they did? They failed. They failed, they failed, they failed again, and then the final exam came, and Peter flunked the final exam when he said, I don't know that guy, and it led to the cross. And it's embarrassing, their report card. (laughs) But that's not Jesus' main concern. And so if you're discouraged because you have failed in the past, you do not need to be discouraged because Jesus can change that grade. He's not concerned with the grade. He actually wants you to learn something. He wants you to depend on him, that he is the bread no matter what you're going through, that Jesus is the one who wants to replace those old affections and put himself in there. And only he can do that. And so we need to long for him and worship him and do this thing together because it's so different than how the world sees things. It's so different than the rest of how we live our life. And this is a test that you are going to face today. And um, I bring this up not because um, it's something that we talk about all the time, but here at White River, we don't talk about like the church calendar very often. Like uh, in this season, as we prepare for Easter, it's called Lent. Some of you may be familiar with that. Some of you may be like, We never talk about that. And that's okay because it really is all about preparing our heart for Easter. And it's a 40-day season and we're in the middle of it. And if you missed it, it's okay. My challenge to you today is to maybe consider this season as we look at Jesus specifically as it points to the cross. What kind of appetites do we have for the things in this world? And what could we give up in this season, and maybe God would lead you to give it up longer to test that appetite. Because so often we think we just need to add things, add things, add things to our life. But maybe we need to remove something from our life to see if God really is enough. And so what appetite needs to change in you? That's what I want you to go home thinking about. God can provide. Jesus will provide. He can provide your next meal. He can provide your next paycheck. And I'm pretty sure he will. But what are the things in your life that you look for that you maybe want more than you want time with God to be changed by God? And so as you think about those things, Let's consider setting some stuff aside for a season. See, there's nothing wrong with sports. I mean, I'm going to watch the Purdue game uh, this evening. You can count on it. Go Boilers. But can that become something that I have an appetite for that's more than God? Is 
watching TV? Is talk radio on uh, AM radio? Is it reading fiction? Is it that next meal? Whatever it may be, there's all kinds of things. Is it social media? I don't know. Is it relationships, other material things? What are the things that we need to set aside today to say, Jesus, I can do that because I want to pursue you more because they interfere with my connection and communion with God and they can sometimes steal that affection for him. So that's my prayer for us, that we would see that Christ is enough and that we let him change our desires as we go from here. So I hope you know, because I've prepared you, you are going to have a test today and tomorrow. Are you ready? Let me pray. God, we thank you for uh, meeting us here. We thank you for challenging us and we thank you for grace that we don't have to be perfect, that you love us even when we fail, but you're more interested in transformation. You're more interested in making us look a little bit more like your son, Jesus, who has a heart for these crowds, who loves others, who has deep and perfect fellowship with the Father. May we seek that together as a church May we be transformed and changed as we seek you, the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen.